You know how some intimate relationships become not so intimate after some time? And you stop relating to one another and start considering it another chore. Well, today's guests are here to talk about just that and how you can find your path back to happiness. Hi, my name is Vindya V. This is Art of the Extraordinary, the podcast for those of you who's ready to play a much bigger game and leave an extraordinary legacy behind. I'm glad you're here and it's time to make your quantum leap. My guests, Talia and Alan Wagner, who are marriage and family therapists, shed a light on this sadly familiar silent epidemic of married roommates on today's episode. Seeing the great need in today's modern marriages for better tools to understand and work together, this marriage and family therapist duo have been guiding couples to success around the world for years. On today's show, they provide practical real-life tools to improve communication, connection, and togetherness. Talia and Alan, it is so great having you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having us. We're really excited. Hi. (laughs) Well, how do couples become roommates? That is a great question and very relevant. You know, that is something that the two of us kind of, we're both couples counselors. And in our work together, we've seen a lot of people come in for a lot of different reasons. But a recurring theme that we see a lot is this kind of roommate phenomenon where couples in long-term relationships have just sort of hit a flat line where they know that they care about each other, but they don't really feel like they connect with each other. And there's a lot of reasons for why that happens. But the main reason is, is that I don't think, and I'm sure you would agree, Talia, that most people are really well prepared for what happens when you enter the second act of life. You know, I, you know, I would just say that like, as a whole, we exist in this time where we're so overwhelmed. There's so many different things pulling at us. And so you compound that when you get married and you have kids and then, you know, there's just all of these kind of responsibilities and things that you have to tend to, and you forget in the kind of chaos of it all to take care of each other. Yeah. I think everybody thinks themselves like they want to get married or they want to have kids or they want to have a house or they want their careers to take off. They just don't expect it to all happen simultaneously and it exhausts them. And I think a lot of people don't really know how to handle that level of stress. And we live in a time, unfortunately, where, you know, while technology can be a great thing for so many reasons, and even in the ways that we're doing this interview right now, the negatives of technology is that it isolates us. And it takes us away from the people around us. And it takes us away from our present. Well, I want to come back to this topic and talk more because I think there's a lot of points that you guys already mentioned that I myself am curious about. Now, from what I understand about you, Talia, and both of you, you are coming from very different backgrounds. So I think, Alan, you're coming from a film development background. And Talia, you're coming from a technology background. How on earth are you doing this right now? I think there's some story behind it. (laughs) (laughs) so i mean i'll say for myself yes that was the earlier part of my career is more business and technology and then i went traveling and i went backpacking i don't know something about what i was seeing and the people i was connecting with just made me feel like i need to be doing something that makes a difference so that's how i got to therapy or to the psychology stuff and that's where i met alan and interestingly enough we share that in common in my case i was working in film and i had been doing okay, kind of moving up in the trajectory. 
and I was working on the development side of things as a story editor. And I had written a thing with my friend, a writing partner, and it had gotten optioned. But in the world of Hollywood, it's not an easy thing. And even if something gets optioned and you think it's going to get made, anything can happen. And of course, bad things happened. <laughs> it didn't really work out. And I got offered a job abroad. And I also, you know, similar to Talia, we got to travel a lot. I had a job working in Thailand. And in the process of living there, I was able to have the time and the money to be able to travel around because the cost of living in Southeast Asia was very affordable. And so when I got back, I was really looking for something meaningful because 9-11 happened pretty much about three days after I returned to the United States. And at that time, I just thought of all the things that I had been doing in my life professionally, and nothing really had meaning. And I felt like I can't really say to myself, it sounds sort of egotistical to say that you want to make the world a better place, you know, for having you in it. But I sure didn't want to make it a worse place. And, you know, working in the film industry or working in telecom, it doesn't really take you into good places. So I really felt like I wanted to make a difference with people. And I haven't looked back since. Well, I think some of us are really lucky in the sense that we would get a wake-up call like that, but some people would actually live their entire life without knowing what that thing is. And, you know, it's too late when they look back. So that's pretty amazing. You know, that kind of brings us to an interesting point of what we're doing, which is finding fulfillment in the relationships we have with our mate and finding fulfillment in the relationships we have with ourselves and other people. And what you say is true is that a lot of us are just lost. We live day to day and we are missing something. And that goes along with a lot of mental health stuff, depression, anxiety, just not finding yourself in the world. And so having that place where you feel fulfilled is such an incredibly important part of life. It's not just enough to kind of live day by day status quo without having that thing that you feel good about. Look, whatever you do for a living, people know if you love what you do. And I think when you find something that you really connect with, that's just a very fortunate thing and not everybody does. And either of us could have ended up in very different fields and we never would have easily. met each other easily. easily. Oh, easily. And I think in this situation, things really worked out for the best. And we really have been very grateful for all the things that we've been able to do. Going back to speaking about this whole concept about married roommates and something that makes me really curious is that I think we talk about conflicts in relationships and especially in the honeymoon period and maybe in the early stages. But I don't hear many people talking about this stage where huh. it just goes so unnoticed that I thought it was really special that you guys are doing this. So going back to that idea about being well prepared, just tell me a little bit more about what does that mean? Because I don't think that a lot of people understand. I don't think that I understand it fully. So, you know, the idea of joining two lives together, it's a big deal. So you get married and what you don't realize maybe at the time is that each one of you has very, very different ways of functioning in this world, right? With regards to many, many different things that you have to do in life with really your relationship with money, your relationship with your family, how you live your life, whether you're messy or clean. And so when you combine those into a shared life, it's not always a smooth transition. And you have to learn how to navigate that, communicate well, and still keep an emotional connection with one another. And so what we've seen is that over time, the relationship, which starts off as an emotional connection, that's why two people are kind of drawn to each other, is they have feelings, there's intimacy, it's great. 
But over time, as you accumulate different parts, like, you know, the kids, the careers, the house, what turns out to be, an, what starts off as an emotionally connected relationship turns into a functional relationship, where it's more to-do list, the shared life we have together, the things that we have to carry together. Right. It's a lot of updates. Don't forget that we have a birthday party on Saturday. You need to pick up a present. <laughs> I'm going to be home at the time. What are we doing for dinner? We need to stop by the grocery store and pick this up. And it's okay because there's a lot to manage and people do have to inform each other of these things, but they can't forget that there's other things too. And a lot of this stuff, it's a normal time of life. And I understand why people get overwhelmed with it. The unfortunate thing, and to the question that you were asking you know, before is you don't hear a lot about this. And the reason why is because people feel guilty. And so if motherhood is hard or you're disconnecting from your maid, is it safe to even tell your friends that? Can you be honest with your family about that? And the mm. truth is, is that most people, and I'm sure if you really think about people, you know, most people suffer through this in one way or another. And it's not just the people who come to see us, it's almost everyone. But the reasons why they don't talk about it is because they think they're alone in this. Because Facebook is making it look like everybody's happy and they're so happy with <laughs> kids and they have the best husband or the yeah. best wife, that they have take the best vacations and everything is exciting. And when you look at your own life, you really feel like it's pathological. And so you can't tell anybody about it. And you start to just accept it or you think that your partner's the problem. And a lot of this stuff, you can't change the fact that your career is going to spike. And in that window, when people are having kids in that early beginning parts of their marriages is usually the biggest growth spurt of a person's career if they're ambitious. Yeah, all these are good things. It's just that all the good things have these compounding effects. They have responsibilities that top a lot, that come on top of responsibilities. And so it's very normal that you handle all these big things together, right? You launch your kids, you handle the career, you do all of these things. But then what is left over between you is kind of lackluster. At the end of the day, once you exchange that to-do list, you sit down on the couch, you watch TV, there's no talking, there's no communications, often there's no sex. <laughs> so right. that's how relationships kind of deteriorate into this place. And it's Groundhog Day and people do it every day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you were talking about, you know, talking to family and friends, one of the things that just popped into my head was that, you know what, a lot of the times that even if you speak to them, they're not specialists in it and they're going to tell from their experience. And in most of those cases, they're very unsuccessful relationships as well. So the advice that you get are really opinions and could get you in a lot of trouble. And I think that there's also a lot of generational differences between how people used to behave <laughs> in partnerships, you know, in our parents' age, what the expectations are today. Yes. <laughs> right? So if you're getting advice from somebody who's older, is it the same kind of advice that somebody who's younger would, <laughs> you know, would expect? Like we moved from a place where traditionalist households were very common, where dads made the money and mom took care of the kids. And we've moved into a much more egalitarian and equal, at least wanting. Maybe that's not always the case, but we want it to be that way. And I think both parties usually in this day and time agree to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned that because I actually had a conversation with my mom like a few months ago and she yeah. was basically criticizing me about how I handle my relationships and you know how they handle is the best and I go and thinking well we look at your generation and the mistakes you have made and well how would it be different if I made the same mistakes obviously we're going to be doing different we'd probably make mistakes but it'll be different mistakes totally different mistakes and don't forget like the reality is that we come hardwired so the family you come from is you know it's very very important in kind of how 
the next generation comes about because that's the skill set you bring into your relationship. Well, that's the thing. I mean, as couples counselors, we see that all the time where people believe things as absolutes or that these are just the way that everybody else is. And they really don't take into consideration the fact that everybody is coming from a different culture. And that's not the ethnicity or the country they're from. It's the culture of their family. And so it's not an excuse. I think everybody can grow and we wouldn't be therapists if we felt people couldn't change. And so the reason we wrote this book, honestly, is because we want this out. We want this in a public discourse. We want people to be able to feel that it's not wrong for them to share the fact that they feel stuck and that they want it to be different. And if you have to change the word to relationship coach instead of marriage counselor to make people feel less weird about it or less ashamed about it, as long as people can change these relationships and open up communication and, and actually get the marriage that they really want and the relationship they used to have back then, you know, it's all worth it. There might be a bigger story there, which is that we all struggle with mental health in one form or another. And as long as there is still a stigma on that, then we have to struggle with it alone. And so that in the context of families is that like, do we need somebody to assist us with this? Or can we just do it ourselves? And sometimes you're at a five in your level of skill sets and abilities. And if you go to a therapist or if you get a book, you'll get skill sets that will lead you then to be an eight. Well, what would you say are like some of the signs? So I think you mentioned some of them, but by the stage that they actually come to you, what are some mm -hmm. of the signs of a couple going through that phase of becoming roommates? I think the signs would be that they probably aren't having sex anymore, that they have a lot of issues and resentments with each other, and that there's a lot more negatives going back and forth and criticisms than positives. There's an example that I share with couples sometimes when I talk to them on the phone. There was this couple that I saw a few years ago, and the issue that she had with her husband was that she wanted him to be healthier. She wanted him to work out more. She wanted him to eat organic. She wanted him to be at a gym and, and to live a healthier lifestyle. When she would go to talk to him about that, and he had a really stressful job, long hours, he would escalate really fast. He would get defensive. He couldn't have time to go to the gym. He couldn't do this. He couldn't do that. And it would either be a huge blowout that left them not talking for a couple of days or else it would be something that maybe it would be a temporary change for a week. He'd go to the gym and then it would stop. And over time in those types of issues, they eventually just stopped talking about it because the fights are so nasty and they would rather just have a happy night after the kids go to bed than be fighting and not talking and awkward. So they don't talk about it anymore. And then maybe like a year later, they're out to dinner. They have an amazing date night. They get a great meal. They're going out for something fun. And one of them says, hey, let's go to Starbucks. And they order a coffee and, you know, the guy gets a mocha and, and the lady behind the counter says, do you want whipped cream on that? And he says, sure. And a huge fight breaks out over whipped cream. And he can't understand on this amazing night why they're fighting about whipped cream. But there was just this issue that it was all tied to. And whenever people become more and more hopeless over time because they don't solve things, they don't resolve their conflicts, everything stays logistical. Everything stays safe. And so usually in that, it's people who don't resolve conflicts well. It's people who are overwhelmed and don't feel validated. And I think that that idea of the communication is that this, the communication stops being about the relationship. So you're having all of this, you talk, you communicate about this life, you live together, but you're not really sharing your feelings. You're definitely not sharing your feelings about each other or asking for intimacy or connection or even sex. So that's where you move into roommate territory is that you just live your life side by side. So it sounds like it obviously doesn't happen overnight, as you say, and then you fight over a whipped cream. I guess it's that the first initial 
a few tiny things that we let slip. And then it starts to become even a bigger thing that we let it slip. And then over a few years, then it has actually snowballed into something bigger. But I guess the first few things that you feel uncomfortable talking about that we kind of let go, that seems like the catalyst for it all. I would say that that's true. Plus the ratio of responsibilities to fun times gets skewed. Because at the beginning of our relationship, it's really important for us to enjoy one another and have a good time and and laugh and do fun things. And then over time, we stop doing that. Well, it's just more intention. You know, I think in the beginning of the relationship, you're actually trying to impress the person. And after a while, you don't even, they're an afterthought. After you've taken care of the kids, you've gotten all your work done. And it's just not important anymore. You know, it's the safe thing that you don't have to worry about because there's not that level of accountability. But in that, you stop watering the relationship. So if you think about it as a maintenance, right, that you maintain your car or your house or your body, does this thing that is supposed to last you for decades of your life, is it just a set it and forget it? Or is there something that you need to do regularly in order to keep it going? Well, I'm just curious to know what level of complexity does it add when you are in business together because I'm asking one, you guys are in business together and me and my partner, we're in business together and have been for a few years as well. So how does that play into this whole relationship subject? Oh, it definitely does. It definitely does because the lines between business and personal are very often blurred. You do things that are personal and then business oriented in times that should not be the times that you work on it. So the, the lines get very often blurred and you carry resentments from one arena to the next. Well, uh, that too. And also you have to have that work-life balance in the sense that because we're entrepreneurs, we can always be working if we want to. We're married. We, we're around each other all the time. Obviously not when we're doing sessions, but as far as a good chunk of the rest of our lives, we could be talking about business. We could be strategizing all the time. But we have to be there for each other as people and we have to be there for our kids and we have to be there for our family and friends. And we have to find that time to say, all right, we're going to not return calls right now. We're not going to check our work emails or we're not going to talk about some new idea of marketing or something like that because it's not the time. You have to have meetings for that that are set up in a very structured way. I like that word structure because I think that when you work together and you live together, you have to have really strong boundaries around it around Mm. what's work and what's not work. It's true. Yeah. Well, are there any like best practices for especially people who work together or in business together? Are there any specific things that you guys would recommend that would be beneficial in the long run? Well, I would say that you have to really carve out what the lanes for that in your life. Like if you were working a job somewhere else, then there would be boundaries. You'd leave and you'd leave the job behind, right? So that same kind of structure has to exist in your life. So what's the transition from we're at work to, no, we're not talking about work right now. So you have to have some sort of measurable way to see that you can kind of carve out two different lanes. But also, I think that what's interesting about you and I, and maybe not everybody is like this, is that we are therapists, but we're also Alan and Talia. And people who know us would never know that we're therapists. We're not those types of therapists that people think about in movies. And we're able to really just get back to who we are. And I think everybody has to sort of let that other stuff go in a way where you, we have dimensions that we give couples and also we do within ourselves too, where there are specific times where you're not allowed to talk about your relationship, the kids, 
your job, your friends, your family, their relationships, politics, TV, all of the friend kind of things that you could do or the roommate kind of things you could do. And we really are forced to really go inward and talk about ourselves more because it is easy. We're both creative people and we can always be thinking about business ideas and creative new ventures, but we do need to really stay connected as people and as friends. My advice to all the people out there who are listening that do work with their spouses or their partners is have a work day, have set times where you really focus as if it's a business and it's a work meeting and you really go over stuff and you stay organized and you have accountable deadlines, but let that end. And when you're together, be a husband and wife, be friends, be in a relationship and don't let that creep in when it's not that time. You have, you really do have to have very strong boundaries because it will creep in and it just becomes one of the other to-do lists. Yeah. And have more time for yeah. to be so, silly and have fun. It, and it, there exactly. is, There's times that really has to be carved out in your life for your mate. Because usually they get the scraps that's left over. <laughs> yeah. And that's especially if you have kids and the more businesses and the more stuff you've got going, like they're the last person who gets a bite from your plate. And it's unfortunate because at the end of the day, we do go back to each other. The kids grow up and leave and do whatever they're going to do. Businesses, we retire. And what's left is our relationship with our spouse. Well, I guess one of the common things that I have seen happening, I don't know about over there, but in Australia is that when people grow old and they're retired, they all of a sudden realize, actually, this is not the person who I want to be with. Because I think over a few decades, they haven't given the attention that the relationship requires and they've grown apart. And that's really sad. That is unfortunately one of the sadder results of married roommates is that they, during the years where they could have made a difference, they allowed the house and the bills and the kids to take precedence and priority, and they didn't tend to the relationship. And then by the time that 10 years pass, 15 years, 20 years pass, the kids get up and leave, and they are left in this big house looking at each other and not really knowing how to relate anymore. It was so easy to have kids to talk about. You could fill the time and the space. It was never awkward silence because you could be talking about what this kid's doing or what you're worried about or what you're going to sign them up for or, or anything. They're criticisms of their girlfriend or boyfriend. But at the end of the day, when they're gone, it's just the two of you. And it's sad because people really don't have a lot to talk about because they've totally forgotten each other. That's a big reason why we want people to do something about it in a preventative way and not let it wait to get to that point. Because honestly, most divorce rates have kind of stabilized, except with one group. And you alluded to it, which are the empty nesters. And it's so sad because at that point in life, you should be enjoying all the stuff you've built. You've raised these great kids. You've launched them. You need to be going traveling and having a great time. And for a lot of people, it's not that. It's not that at all. It's not even close to that. Well, I want to quickly switch gears into talking a little bit about business and, you know, what you guys have built as a brand. When you first thought of the idea, what were some of the hurdles that you had to go through that you didn't know that you would have to from your prior experience working in other professions? Well, I think that you always have to think about what you're packaging and how you're packaging it. And, you know, the idea of like, marketing, things like this. It seems a little silly when you think about the product and what it is, because 
what it is, is really how to improve yourself and your relationship and how to focus on moving the needle yourself without waiting for somebody else to do it for you and without thinking that it's just going to happen. Because whether in business, whether in your relationship, there are actually actionable steps you must take for positive change to occur. We're both pretty independent self-starters. And I think what's been difficult for us in this process, or I'll speak to myself on this one, Talia, is when you're building a brand, like let's say married roommates, it's different as we built our own brands as couples counselors and relationship experts, we were able to have a lot of control in that. And we were able to develop it the way that we wanted to do it. And it was very much our way as entrepreneurs. But when you're building a brand of married roommates and everything that that's going to encompass, it involves so many different types of people to, that are specialists in different areas. You know, whether it's the web design people, whether it's the various levels of editors, whether it was the marketing people, there was a lot of different people we had to really work with and find that we could communicate our vision to. And I think that's the hard part when you're building a brand or building a business is how do you communicate what you see in your head to another person so that they can execute it the way that you sort of see it. And it's not something that we could do ourselves because it wasn't our expertise, these various technical skills or the, or the different steps that we had to participate in. But I think finding a way to find the right language to a sound person or to for an audiobook or to give direction to a voiceover artist or to be able to tell a cover art designer what the illustration should convey or the feelings of behind it. I think that was the difficult step because we couldn't just do that ourselves. We had to actually explain it to other people. Does well, that sort and, of make sense? And it's a learning process, you know, because a lot of these things you're maybe encountering for the first time. And I think as an entrepreneur, there's so much of that that mm. you are going to encounter for the first time and you have to have the ability to scale that wall even if it's hard, even if you don't get it, even if you fail the first couple of times. Well, what would you say is the best advice that you have been given? I'm sure it'd be two different answers for both of you. That's a hard one. I'll say the best advice that I ever got was, <laughs> it was actually from my dad. I've probably talked about this with so many different people over the years, but I remember him taking this cup and putting it on the table when we were out to dinner. And he said, Alan, you see this cup right here? And I was like, yes, daddy. And he said, the only person who's ever going to be able to move this cup from here to here is you. And if you're waiting for anybody else to take that cup and move it across the table, that will never happen. The only person who moves the cup of life is you. If you want it to go from here to here, it has to be you. And I've seen that time and time again with the clients that I work with, because we do a lot of entertainment stuff in Los Angeles. Our offices are in the Screen Actors Guild building. So a lot of the people that we see are entertainment clients. And the people, whether they're actors, they're writers, they're directors, there's the people who do successfully, and then there's the people who want to be, and they're waiting to be discovered. And I mm -hmm. think that advice that I got a long time ago, which is don't wait for someone else to discover you. Don't wait for someone to see how talented you are. You're going to have to make this happen if it's going to happen. And I see that in most people who are successful is that they make it happen themselves. I think that's what's really cool about that is in so many ways, because of technology, people can carve their own ways now. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's very powerful because I see that a lot as well. Like there are people who would just go out and get it. And there is a bit of luck involved, but the luck would come only when you're ready and you are putting yourself out there already. Most of the time, no one is going to come knocking down your door trying to discover you. So... Uh, yeah, that's probably true of, with searching for love as well. I don't know how it is out there, but I know that today 
with all of the advances that technology offers with the world of dating, it's much harder for people to find each other. But you have to actually go out there and put yourself out there. As brutal as the process is, you kind of have to keep going until you meet somebody that you're interested in in order to start that whole process. Yeah. And I guess another point to that is that even when you're looking for somebody, who are you looking for? Because a lot of people have already a lens with that they're looking for. Either or men are a certain way or women are a certain way. Then when you look at from that lens, of course, you're going to find more of them. But if you look at it from a different lens, then you would find the right people that you want to find as well. Well, that matters down the road, right? Because when you get to the place of having a household together and having kids together, that compatibility stuff is going to matter. The fact that you share values or you share beliefs or you see raising kids or discipline in the same way, it's going to help you down the road just to be able to resolve and get to a compromise. And when you start really, really far away from each other and the only thing maybe pulling you together was attraction and you don't have much in common, it's a harder road. Well, there's a lot of people in life that, not to jump around topics, but there's a lot of people in life that a person can be attracted to. There's a lot of people in life that will also like Game of Thrones, that will also eat sushi, that will also, I think a lot of people, what they describe as connection and love, they're looking at the wrong things. Mm. It's not to say that you shouldn't be attracted to your partner because you have to be. And it's not to say that you shouldn't have some common interest because you should. But does it really matter whether one person likes one kind of music or a different kind of music or one person doesn't really love the movies or really hates sports or these things are not the be all end all of what's going to make a successful relationship or a successful marriage. What's really important is that you have like what Talia was saying that you have those shared values and that your perfect outcome that you aspire for is similar, if not the same. And it's going to be a hard journey for everybody listening right now. If you're at that beginning of especially young children, the zero to five years, if people have kids, those are tough, tough years, regardless of whether you're with the right person or you're not. If you're with the wrong person, they're even tougher. But yeah, and I said that, yeah, then you're really in trouble. But I think if you're going to go through all of this and build a life with someone, you really do have to have those commonalities. You have to know how you'll finish and know when you've won. And if both people can close their eyes and imagine what retirement will look like together and the life that they'll lead after they get through the crazy journey of what, everything we've been discussing with the married roommates thing, if you can find that person and she's hot or he's hot, then you won. <laughs> Well, what would you say is the worst advice you've been given when it comes to business? The worst advice? There's loads that you can't pick one. You know, this is more of a global thing. <laughs> and the advice was just, this is the way you grow in life, which is go to school and work really, really hard. And then you'll get a house. And I think that kind of traditionalist way of moving forward in the world is changing in a big way. And so mm -hmm. I think that, Whenever people try to kind of bring you back to the status quo, it doesn't always ring true for me because I've gotten some of my best like leaps forward by thinking out of the box and by doing things that maybe weren't recommended. So people are going to share kind of the version that has worked for most of the people that came before you, but that doesn't always mean that it's the one that works for you. I remember when we were in grad school, Talia, there were professors that were giving us this advice of how important it was that we always have a day job, that we always take insurance, that we always have health insurance and benefits. <laughs> yeah. And and that nobody could just be only in private practice, that you would always have to 
work at a company till five o'clock and then see clients after that and on the weekends and that you'd be taking, you know, insurance panel. I don't know what insurance is like in Australia, but in America, for anyone listening, they know what I'm talking about. But that was the advice that I was getting when I was in grad school, that you have to play it safe, that you need those sick days, you need those vacation days, you need that 401k. And what I've seen is that we live in a world right now, which she was saying, it's kind of the wild, wild west in that you can do with YouTube and with all of the different online platforms, you can really make your mark in ways that most people could only dream of years ago. You don't need a big publisher. You don't need a giant record label. You don't need a, you know, a big movie studio to make product. Everybody's kind of moving into their own thing. They're developing their own apps. And so we live in a world where if you have entrepreneurial spirit and you're willing to take the risks, the rewards can be just exorbitant. Well, it kind of gives me a window to seeing what kind of sad life they were living. They were just projecting onto you. Yeah. Yeah. And when I think it's interesting that you say it that way, because I hadn't really thought of it that way, but that's true. I mean, maybe that is sort of what they were sort of reflecting back when I think about those teachers but these are the people that influence us, right? Like you get to a place where you can either see through that or you take that and that becomes your limit. That becomes your glass ceiling. You don't aspire to move past that because it's already been told to you that you cannot. Oh, I was terrified in doing this whole process. I kept hearing <laughs> that in my head that am I making a mistake? And what if I don't get referrals? What if people don't call me? Well, fear mm. is usually the reason most of us don't move forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's not because we can't. It's not because we don't have the skill sets to. It's because of all of what we hear in our head. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, like, I guess that's how we've been conditioned, like, not to fail, right? Like, we've been conditioned so well to always be right, always succeed, never fail. So when you have been conditioned that way, then life is all about security and doing things right. So then other people wouldn't judge us. So breaking yeah. through that is hard. And that's kind of an all or, or nothing approach because the journey to success is never just a you're there or not. It's just one day you're up, one day you're down. You move one step forward, two steps back. Like it's a fluid, fluid thing. But if you just keep at it, eventually you will make gains. It's so true. I think for all the different steps of what we've done as entrepreneurs in business together, there's definitely been failures, but we've learned from all of them. And when we did make a mistake, I don't know if you're familiar with that expression of cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. And so I think it probably comes up a lot in, you know, with entrepreneurs and business and your stuff, but it is something that holds us back in the sense that we get it stuck on something that's not working, but we stay in it because we don't want to admit that we failed. <laughs> and you can apply that to almost anything in human behavior. But I think for us, we understood that when we failed, it was okay. We were able to step away from it and not let it fail for too long, if that makes sense. We didn't stick with the failure and let it take up more of our time or more of our money or more of our energy. We were able to sort of admit that that didn't work, learn from it and move on and let it go and just cut your losses, lick your wounds and, and move on. And I think a lot of people really have difficulty doing that. But I think when you're an entrepreneur in business, you have to. You have to know when that web person doesn't get it and stop letting the deadlines pass. You have to know when it's that marketing project or that marketing plan, no matter how much you spent on it, is failing and you have to start over. Don't spend more money on it, start over. If you have that type of a personality who can do that, then I think it, it'll take you really far. Yeah, well, I guess that goes really well for relationships as well. Yeah. Knowing that whatever you're doing is not working, but you still stay in it because you know it's good Seven to be doing that. Life. 
Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> it, it's better to keep doing that rather than just rig it and find out actually it's not working. You don't want to be doing something different. We've heard that probably, you know, obviously we can't talk about our work with each other, but I can tell you in my practice, I can't even tell you how many times I've heard a comment like that from a client where they've said something along the lines of, but if I leave him now, it means that I've wasted blank years of my life. <laughs> and I don't tell people what to do. And I never would tell a client to break up with her boyfriend or husband or anything like that. But you're right. People stay in something that isn't working. It's not who they are, but they don't want to admit that they wasted their time. Mm. And then we all get to kind of the end of life and have a lot of regret of the things that we didn't do, you know, the time we wasted and the work that we gave our life to without giving the same amount to our family and friends and even more of that. I think that in life, we have the present and the present is the time to make things happen, to make moves, whether that's in your relationship or your business life. And like we said before, we live in a really exciting time where you can, where the only obstacles really are what you limit yourself with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you guys could go back to the beginning of your business journey, what would you change about how you did things? For me, I would say that the only thing that I probably would have done is just accelerated it, right? That we would get to this place sooner. But I think that when you think about taking any any element of it out, then you don't really get to the same end point. Yes, absolutely. So you kind of have to go through this journey in order to get to where you are in life. And if you take one thing out of it, it's like the revolving doors. It spits you out in a whole other place. You would have a different reality. Exactly. So everything <laughs> needs to happen just the way it does in order for us to be where we are today. Yeah, I would actually probably give a similar answer. I feel like seeing how the obstacles that we put in our mind that are in front of us that we think are so hard, we don't realize that they're like those, I don't know if you've ever seen those curtains that are like the beaded curtains that come down. But the 70s. Those 70s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but in our minds, we sometimes view the world as this very rock solid, obstacle filled place. And I think the world is very malleable. I feel like we can just push through those curtains a lot easier than I used to think. And I wish I had known how much influence a single human being could have on their environment back then, because I think we'd be a lot further along even than we are right now, if I had known that. This isn't about manipulating people or doing anything bad. This is about, you know, the world is just, it can be anything you want it to be, and you just have to be positive and actually take action. Well, Alan and Talia, thank you so much for being in the show now. For the folks that want to find out more about you, more about the book and your work, how can they do that? So the book is called Married Roommates. And it is available on Amazon. We are at marriedroommates.com. And if people want to get in touch with us directly, the email address is info at marriedroommates.com. Great. Thank you so much. It was lovely having you. I can talk about relationships all day, but I'm conscious that I have to finish the podcast. So thank you so much again. It has thank been lovely you. chatting with you and everything that you shared was very valuable. Definitely. Thank you so much we for having it. us. episode for today as always filled with tons of golden nuggets of hope do go check out talia and alan's book married roommates on amazon you can find the link to the book as well as a summary of the key points covered at vindiav.com in show notes until i meet you next time keep at it in your extraordinary journey